just before we do our reading this morning, I want you to take this piece of paper that was handed out to you at the door, and on it I had this, I've got this title, Name Five Things That Satisfy You Most in Order of Priority. Now, I don't want you to do a lot of thinking about this, just gut reaction, what are those five things? Top thing, next thing, and write them, write them down quickly. If you've got a pen, please do that. Right, you all managed with five things. Now, with that same pen, I want you to cross out the word you and write God there. And then have a look at your list and see what it looks like now. Does it make a difference? As you look at those five things you've written down, how much of your resources are tied up in these? And if, if any of those five things were taken away, would you still be satisfied with life? And what we're going to look at this morning in this passage is going to point out to us that if we're only satisfied with things that money can buy, then we're in great danger of losing the things that money cannot buy. So let's look at God's Word. And I hope that exercise has just opened our minds and our hearts to start seeing what the Spirit will say to us through His Word this morning. So let's turn to Luke chapter 12. And I want to read from verse 8 so that we've got the context and then through to verse 21. Luke chapter 8, uh, 12 verse 8. Jesus speaking, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And then someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Does that stand in contrast? It should. But but Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you. 
and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I hope you noted there that as we came from what we looked at last time, Jesus speaking about faith under persecution and and what we have to do when we are dragged before human courts to stand up for our faith, there's this interjection from the crowd before him. And it's this man wanting to tell Jesus about a family squabble. Now just imagine that. Jesus is speaking about him being the judge over men's souls and then someone pipes up about a family fight. And it's this younger brother who's, who's got this beef with his older brother who should have divided up the inheritance better as the older brothers were supposed to do by law, but he hasn't. And so he's not getting what's coming to him. And so he feels it's unfair. And so he, in the middle of Jesus' sermon here, he says, Lord, my brother won't divide up the stuff with me properly. Can you see the contrast? And so he comes to Jesus. Why Jesus? Well, you see, in, in Jewish culture, the rabbi was the one who you could bring these arbitrary things to. And the, 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 the rabbi was supposed to be the judge over family matters too. And Jesus is a rabbi, so I'll bring him this matter. But you see the importance this has got to this man? He hasn't been listening to what Jesus has been saying. This, is, this has taken over his mind. His fight with his brother. And so he just interjects while Jesus is speaking about eternal matters. And so Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge over you? Over earthly things? The Son of Man will judge over your soul. I'm not there to judge over your temporary stuff. What's that in comparison? You see, Jesus also knew, because He knows people's hearts, doesn't He? He also knew that no matter what answer he gave to this man, it wasn't going to be good enough. Why? Because there was something else in this man's heart. It was covetousness. It was an idol in his heart. And that's why Jesus speaks up and speaks about the parable next. And he says to him, verse 15, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. Or another word for it your Bible might have. Greediness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So what's Jesus speaking about here? He's saying to him, be on your guard. In other words, why would he say that? You're in danger, man. Here I'm speaking about eternal matters and all you can speak about is this family issue. Beware, you're in danger. You're in danger from what? Greediness. The original word here speaks about a thirst for having more and more. Like you have when you drink salt water. What happens when you drink salt water? You're drinking water, right? Supposed to, supposed to uh, stop the thirst. And it does for a little while. But then what? You get thirsty again. That's right. You get thirsty again. Thank you. You get thirsty again. And you drink water and you get thirsty again. And that is why people who are lost at sea on little boats and drink water die of thirst in the end and just too much salt getting into the system, the poison of it. He says you are in danger. You've got a thirst in you which will never be satisfied. 
by just getting stuff. Today's lingo, the one with the most toys does not win. We've said that quite a few times here before and quite a few of us have been uh, wriggling around. Mark Twain said it in this way. I I love the way he sums things up. He he talked about the needs of civilization as, listen to this, and you might uh, identify. Man's needs. A limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. I'll say it again. Those needs we have are a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. I feel guilty already. You see, what does the Bible call covetousness? What does the Bible call greed? Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 puts it this way. Listen to these verses. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and here it is, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, the Bible says, this is an idol in us. If we've got an insatiable appetite to have things and more things and more things, the Bible says, there is an idol in us. And what is an idol? It is something which gets between us and God. An idol is anything which gets between you and God. It can be yourself too. Jesus says here, you are in great danger. And then he says, verse 15, life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now that's completely contrary to what the world says. It's completely the opposite. And it might be completely the opposite of the way you and I are living. Because we seem to go through life like little crabs. We've got these big claws on and we keep just grabbing things. You watch yourself. You go into your favorite store, the red store. And I'm not allowed to mention names here, alright? The big red store. You go in there and watch these little hands. You try shopping like this and see what happens. Not going to work. But see the difference that this makes. You see... Sometimes we think that life consists in the abundance of our possessions. And so Jesus tells this parable. And remember what a parable is? What is a parable? It's a story with a lesson. Jesus tells this parable of the rich fool. Verse 16 to 20. I'm going to read the parable. Jesus told them this parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. This is a good planner. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. So here we have this farmer. And I know we have a few farmers here. And... He's put crops in. And the season has been really good this year. And his crops are growing beautifully. And he can see this year is going to be a bumper crop. I can just see it. The rain's been right. The soil's been right. Everything I've done seems to have been right. But where's the crop? 
it's still on the field. Okay? Still on the field. And so he looks at this crop and he says to himself, what shall I do? Well, if this is the size of the crop, I'd better put up bigger barns. So, so I'll tear down my smaller buildings and I'll put up big ones so I can get all this together. And so when I've got all my crop intact, then I'll be able to sell it and I'll be able to have so much more. Therefore, soul, take it easy. Relax. Take life easy. Be, drink and be merry. Eat, drink and be merry, he says. Now, a few questions here. Is it bad to be rich? Is that what the story is teaching us, this parable? Is it bad to be rich? No, it can't be because there are many rich men in, in, in Scripture and they were good men, right? Abraham, he was a good man, but he was very rich. Solomon, he was very rich. His Achilles heel wasn't his riches. What was it? Ladies, yep. Not quite the same thing. Job, he was a very good man. God said so. And he was very rich. Joseph of Arimathea, in the New Testament, the one who provided a place for Jesus to be buried. He was a rich man. And so, no, it's not bad to be rich. So that's not what this passage is teaching. So, do we get any indication that this farmer used dishonest means? No. Well, he seemed to have done everything right, but the season was good, and it all seemed to be going quite well, but it wasn't with him. God had blessed his labors. The season was right, the rains were right, the soil was right. So no, he wasn't using dishonest means. So this isn't what this passage is teaching, as some have said it does. So the only other question I can ask is, is it, so is it bad to then plan ahead? Shouldn't we plan ahead? No, that's not what it's saying either. You see, the fault doesn't lie with what was happening to him. The fault lies in his attitude. The fault is in his attitude. Instead of thanking the Lord for his bounteous crops, for the good weather, for the soil that was productive, everything that was outside of his control, he speaks to his soul. The me, myself and I of his existence. And in the original text, the word me and I appears 12 times just in that short little passage. So it's meant to do that, you see. Jesus is pointing out here the me, myself and I was the thing that was at this guy's, at the, at the center of this guy's attitude. And he gives his soul permission to now take life easy. You see who's in control? He is in control of his soul. And he gives his soul permission to now take life easy. He's the captain of his soul. He's the master of his own destiny, he thinks. Not a thought to anyone else. Not a thought to God. We don't get any indication here. And that's the point of what Jesus is saying here. He had made what of himself? An idol. He had made an idol of, his, of, himself, of himself. He had made an idol of his possessions. Does God leave it there? Look at what he says there. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they now be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see, God orientates himself and he calls him a fool. 
Now, God wasn't name-calling here because elsewhere in Scripture, when you call someone a fool, it says you're not supposed to do that. So God's not breaking His own command here. What He's saying is He's using it in the Old Testament sense of someone who rejects knowledge and the principles of God as a basis for life. That's a fool. And God is saying to him, Man, you are a fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Had it happened yet? No. God is sovereign, you see. He's in control of this man's soul. He's in control of his destiny. And he says, this night, your soul will be required of you. Interesting that as well. Who's in control of our souls? God is. We aren't. Your soul will be required of you. There's accountability. And the things you have prepared, whose will they now be? And the whole sense of that little term there is, you don't even know who all the stuff is going to go to. So how does that make sense in life? You worked hard, and now your stuff's just going to be frittered away. You don't even know who to. Do you see the senselessness of it? Jesus is creating a juxtaposition here of a man who thought he had everything, and now it's going to, who knows? You fool, says the Lord. Your soul is required of you this night. And then he ends with this warning, verse 21. He says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In other words, so is the one who hoards up riches and possessions as his security in life instead of looking to God as the only security in life. I refer back to our little list. Who is the security in your life? Is it the Lord or your possessions? And Jesus says, linking it back to verse 15 now, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, covetousness, all greediness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's a very timely reminder for us in our materialistic world. Very timely reminder. Because we can't help ourselves. We reach out these little arms and we gather. So what does it look like to be rich towards God? I want to give you three indications of what that looks like. What does it look like to be rich towards God? Firstly, acknowledge gratefully that God has given you what you've got. And then recognize that every good thing in life, including life itself, comes from God. We need to stop and honor God for giving us life and everything that we've got. But do we? You see, I know my own heart. We carry on with life because life's busy, right? We forget to stop and thank God for life and everything He's given us. And when we do that, we are just like this rich man. We need to give God the honor due to Him. So, self-examination this morning. How do you feel about your life and what God has given you? Is it yours? No, it's not. It belongs to the Lord. And therefore you are a steward of what has been given to you, including your life. Listen to that. You are a steward of your life to God. You are a steward, in other words, someone who looks after on behalf of 
God everything He's given to you as well. It doesn't belong to you and to me. And so we have to be grateful to God. But are we? We have to honor God for that. But do we? It's in the practice, you see. Because if we don't, we are like this man. So you want to be rich towards God? Then be grateful towards Him and honor His name. Secondly, to be rich towards God means striving for spiritual enrichment, not just personal enjoyment. You see, the world will tell you the opposite. And because we hear this stuff all the time on TV and on the radio, and you see it in the shops around you, we need to remind ourselves constantly that we are to be rich towards God and not just towards ourselves. And how do I do that? How do I gain spiritual enrichment? Well, first priorities first. What is your daily relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ like? You will hear it from me every single Sunday here. What is your relationship with the Lord like? Or is your day taken up by stuff and chasing after stuff? Do you walk by the Spirit daily? Are you sensitive to what He is saying to you? Are you sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5.16 says, We must be sensitive to what the Spirit does in us by walking by the Spirit. We need to store up God's Word in our hearts. Psalm 119, we read this morning, verse 11, it says, store up God's Word in your heart. How do I store up God's Word in my heart? I need to firstly what? Read it. How do I store it in my heart? Because it's just gone in my eyes now. I need to mull over it. I need to memorize it so that it's here. And so I can take it away with me. When I close this Bible and I get in my car, because you're not allowed to read while you're driving, alright? then I can use that stored battery stuff in me, which is God's Word, and I can mull on it. You see how how I gain spiritual enrichment? I store God's Word in my heart. My relationship with the Lord, I walk by the Spirit, and now I use the store of God's Word in my heart. And it helps me to set my priorities in life. It helps me to have the right actions in my life, because it's working in on me, God's Word. Is it? How many verses from God's Word have you learnt this last week? One? You see, are we taking God and His Word seriously? Otherwise, we're being like the rich man. How else can we be spiritually enriched? Well, I want to give you a good pointer here. Don't fall in love with your resources. It's very easy. I love glitzy things too. I love gadgets it's very easy to fall in love with our resources. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Just add in there, the love of gadgets is a root of all kinds of evils. And the love of shiny cars is a root of all... You see what I'm saying? It is through craving that some... Listen to the warning... It is through craving, whatever it is, you can put in brackets what the craving is. It is through craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Who is he speaking about? Believers have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What have they done? They stuck themselves with sharp knives, injuring themselves 
through covetousness and greed. Watch out. How else can we be enriched spiritually? Well, the Lord gives us wealth. The Lord gives us resources. We can enjoy our resources. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given you. If God has given you more than another person, there's no sin in that. You can enjoy what God has given you. It's His blessing to you. But are you employing those resources in His service? Enjoy them, but employ them in His service. How can you employ your resources to honour God? Well, if you make available some resources in the tools of service for others, they too can benefit and they too can be enabled to serve God better. So are you releasing some of that to someone else to serve the Lord? Or do you hold on to what God has given to you with all your might? Yes, enjoy what He's given to you. But maybe share that enjoyment with someone else. Have you thought of that? Do we just pile up treasures like smog sitting on a little pile of gold? The Hobbit, those of you who watched who are looking at me vaguely. You see, is generosity your habit? Are you known for your generosity? When people speak about you, I don't want to mention any names now because I'll be in trouble. When, when they speak about you, are you known for your generosity? And you don't have to have much to be generous, but you can share what little you have to. Are you known for generosity? Does compassion take a back seat against your desires for yourself? You see there's implications here? Do we live life as if this life is all that exists? That's what Jesus said. That's what this fool said. Eat, drink and be merry, my soul. Is that the way we live life? One day when you die, at your funeral, what will your friends and your family say about the way you use resources? Would you be known for your generosity? Would you be known for the honour you gave God with what He had given you? Is that what would characterise you and me? You see, sometimes our investments on this earth, which is temporary, are greater than the investments in the kingdom to come. How do I invest in the kingdom to come? In these ways that I've told you, but... By sharing the gospel, by making sure others can hear about the kingdom, by making sure that someone else will be in heaven with you, those are the ways that we use what God has given us for His glory. I want to tell you about a man called Alan. Listen to the story. Alan was a successful software engineer. He'd wanted to be a software engineer from school days. And so at uni he, he studied. And then when he got out of uni, he built up a business from scratch. A lifetime dream to be a software engineer. And he built up a really successful business. And he was able to buy a house and the latest model MG. Yes, sir. I'm not allowed to cover it. Um, while he was at uni, he met a beautiful girl 
and her name is Natalie. And she was a Christian. Alan stood up at a public meeting and he made a public commitment just to keep her happy. And so they were married. And they had three children together, two boys, one girl. But the sad thing was that Alan was not able to spend too much time with the family and with the kids as they grew up because he was always too busy. And any of you who have started businesses, you'll know it's really busy when you work for yourself. And so he, he was so busy he couldn't spend time with his kids. He was always having to go and spend time with clients. Software needed adapting and updating constantly, those of you with computers. And the money was coming in, more money than he ever dreamed of. More money than he ever needed. But it seemed like he could never get enough. He always needed that little bit more. And so he would chase those new clients. He would look, he would chase after the fresh contracts all the time. Those of you married will know what happens. He was spending so much time that his marriage with Natalie was starting to suffer. She was starting to spend more and more time without him. And so he saw the warning signs and she told him that they, they were in trouble, he needed to do something. And so he decided to work from home one day of the week and so he brought work home. And so he had his study and he worked in his study but he was so busy that the days turned into nights and there he was working all night and he didn't have time to see his kids, so he chased them out and so the kids kept out of his way at home. Natalie and the kids on Sundays went off to church but he couldn't go, he was too busy and anyway, it wasn't his thing. Natalie was very sad about that. His doctor warned him to slow down and to watch his diet can you see the picture? One night at 1am in the morning, which wasn't the first time, he was just finishing a proposal that he had to submit later that day and he suddenly felt an extreme tightening in his chest and it didn't go away. It got worse and worse. And then he had the sharp, overwhelming pain in his head and he blacked out. And when he came to, he found himself on the floor of his study. He sensed the movement behind him and he whispered, Natalie, help me! He couldn't manage any more than a whisper. And a shadow fell over him and then a voice said, I am dead. I have been ordered to take you. No! says Alan, I'm not ready. This isn't my picture for my life. I was going to retire at 45. Who will look after my clients? What about Natalie and the kids? What about my dreams? Our dreams of retirement? I have a message for you, said death. You fool! This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? But death, can you give me just one chance, please? If I give up my business, can I just spend a few more years with my family? Will you allow me to see my daughter get married? Come. But yes, can I at least just say goodbye to my wife, Natalie? 
come. Death. I can't meet God now. I haven't even read my Bible in years. Can you tell me how to get ready to meet God? Enough. Come. Does that in some way speak about your life? There's good news this morning. You can't take anything with you, but you can send it on ahead. How do I send anything on ahead to the kingdom of God? Matthew 6 verse 19 to 21 says this. Listen to these words from God's word. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Tell me, where is your treasure? Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Is your treasure looking ahead to one day? Or is it still tied up with this earth? Because there your heart is. And that's God's wisdom. 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 and 7 says this. Here's a solution for you. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Be content with what God has given you. And be godly. Use it for His service. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Hear God's Word to you. Hear God's Word to us this morning. And let's obey Him. However that applies. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we stand humbled before Your Word. Because we don't even have to do much examining of our own attitudes. And we find that we forget You so quickly. We forget to thank You for not just life itself every single day when we wake up. But Lord, we forget so quickly to thank You for all those blessings You pour on us. The homes, the vehicles, the goods, the food, all those things You bless us with. We forget to say thank You. And therefore we become like this rich man who did not give you the honour due to your name. Lord, forgive us. Thank you for this timely reminder from your word that we are to be different to the world. That we are to live in eternity now as we start preparing for eternity now. Lord, give us attitudes that have hearts which are in heaven already, even though we are on earth, on this earth. May we be looking ahead to what is ahead. And may we start living our lives now with your kingdom in mind. Lord, 
May we use the resources you've given to us so that the kingdom can be expanded and others will hear your word. And Lord, may we also bless others with the blessings you have blessed us with and show them the love of Jesus Christ. Use us in this little community, I pray.